when it comes to heating up your business, it's all about making more bacon. And that requires an expert with a particular set of skills. You need a Baconologist. Building authentic connections, online networking, through social selling, relationship marketing, mindset and training. Yeah, that's bacon. Get ready, because we're about to fry up a sizzling success strategy. This is the Bacon Podcast with your host and business Baconologist, Brian Basilico. It's a lot of bees, man. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Basilico, and this is the podcast where you learn to make your business sizzle online. So are you ready to fry up some new business? Hey, peeps, I am uber excited. I have a great guest. His name is Chip Royce, and he's with Flywheel Advisors. Ooh, I've seen hamster wheels, but never a flywheel. Hey, Chip, man, how are you doing? I'm great, Brian. It's great to be here. How you doing, bud? I'm fabulous. So I'm assuming the flywheel has nothing to do with hamsters or flies, right? Yep. It's uh, no flies, no hamsters. It's all about business momentum. It's like the flywheel in your car and your transmission. And once you get that going, you know, if you're putting all the right things into it, um, to some extent, the business will take care of itself. Well, that's an incredible segue into what we're going to be talking about today, because we're going to be talking about driving, but not a car, but driving <laughs> growth through customer experiences. But before we get started on the topic, what I want to do is get my audience to know you better. So can you tell my audience how you went from hawking PCs on QVC to getting more business ROI through rib? I'm not talking about the one in your chest. I'm talking about reinvent business. How did you do that? Yeah. So Brian, um, actually this is about 2002, right after the whole dot-com crash, I had been, I'd started my career within the whole internet space. So I did a startup in 1994 before anybody even knew what the World Wide Web was. I uh, joined a company in Florida that did online sports media, uh, did a couple other companies after that. But after the whole dot-com implosion, um, I felt like I wanted to get in and get some more tangible, bigger company experience. So I joined one of the largest PC manufacturers in the world. They happened to sell a, a good number of PCs through the TV shopping channels already. And I took a really neat role where I was the general manager of all of their PCs. Uh, and I built up relationships with all the major TV shopping networks. Now, what was pretty wild about that was it's easy to recruit people to go on QVC for the Christmas show and sell 26 million. But if there's an opportunity in the middle of July while everybody's enjoying their summers um, and really don't feel like volunteering to help me and my business out, I spent a lot of time on planes going to these various networks, going on TV and joining the hosts and, uh, and sort of a little bit of a trial under fire to, uh, to sell PCs to middle America through the TV shopping channels. That's awesome, dude. So you're a celeb. I mean, bottom line. <laughs> I, yeah, I try not to promote it, although it was funny to find old friends coming out of the woodwork saying, hey, I saw you on QVC the other day. That's pretty cool when you, you get that kind of stuff. And, and you know, I, owning my recording studio, I'd do a jingle. My dad would call me up and say, Brian, is that you on the TV? <laughs> so I know the feeling. But today we're going to be talking about how to grow businesses. And so what I want to start out with is, you know, business is trying to grow itself to scale. Obviously, the last handful of years have been a challenge, just like when you were talking about with the dot bomb error. Uh, what we need to kind of break down first is what's the perceived problem that is keeping businesses from kind of taking that next step? What do they imagine is their problem? A lot of companies will imagine, they'll say, look, I've been going along just great. And all of a sudden, I'm not 
either generating the revenues I, I were before, or I'm not getting the growth I wanted. And you know, Brian, I spent a lot of my time in the tech sector, especially with companies that are backed by venture capital. And these guys are told, right? Day one, grow. Next day, scale and grow and grow and grow. So when they find that things, they're losing that momentum, again, that flywheel thing, um, it's, a, it's a big deal to them. And they, they worry because, heck, they've had a product, it's sold, they've, they've been able to work. So what's stopping now? What's, what's holding them up? So then that gets down to what the real problem is, and, and that's what we're going to talk about. So what is the problem that is stopping them from getting there? What I tend to find when I speak with folks, it's not like the technology they have wasn't great. It's not like their sales and marketing engine wasn't effective. What they often encounter is that what got them there is not what's going to take them forward. There's an old, uh, I think it was Jeffrey Moore wrote a book called Crossing the Chasm, and it was about how do you take your business to that next level? And these companies, especially the venture capital process, but in general, it's, you know, build a product, validate it, get moving, right? But mm -hmm. a lot of the times they sell, you know, this is a mouse. It has a great grip feel. Well, not even say great, great grip feel. It just says a great resolution and it, it clicks and it hooks up to your PC. Well, that's great. And your early adopters will, will value that. But when you go out to the next generation of people, let's say you want to sell this mouse to doctor's offices, well, they need to know why it's good for a doctor. And the companies aren't trained to do that by this point. So they sort of get stuck and, mm -hmm. and they, they look around and, and it's almost not in their, their company culture at this point to even think in different ways about how to crack this code. And I see it all the time in marketing with companies not being able to segment you know, like you said, you know, selling it to a doctor's office, selling it to a manufacturing company, you know, it, it's the same product. It's just maybe packaged a little different, has a little different, uh, you know, capabilities of, of not breaking down in a greasy environment versus, you know, having bodily fluids in a doctor's office. I mean, it, it's small changes, but it's a matter of just saying this is for you. And that's what the customer experience is really about, right? Well, yeah. I mean, so you get these companies, they've, they've been motoring along because most of the time it, they take a, an engineer you know, from company X and say, guess what? You get to be CEO. Mm -hmm. And and if you're lucky, you get to find a great marketing guy to help you who has deep experience, right? But they don't always have that, and and so this person is put into this situation and say, "Go make a business," and they do it, which is incredible. But at the same time, it, it can breed sort of a, a myopic view, like it's the product, it's the product, it's my tech. That's I'm a technologist. This is what I know. Um, so when they hit this inflection point, it's it's a little eye opening. Well, it hopefully will be eye opening for them. Uh, as they as they move forward and try to, to fix things. Mm -hmm. One of my all-time favorite jokes is how many psychologists does it take to screw in a light bulb, right? Do you know how the many? answer? No. Just one, but the light bulb has to want to change, right? <laughs> and so when we're talking about business owners, a lot of times they can't see that they need to change. So what? how do you get them to recognize that there's a solution out there to this problem? Because you've seen it and I've seen it. You know, they hit that brick wall and it's like, I need to go hire a new CMO or CEO or CFO or EIEIO or something like that. How do you get yeah. them to understand that there's a breaking point and they need to, there's a solution for them. And what is that solution? You, you hit it right on the head. And often they will say, it, it must be the process. It must be the people. Not looking at 
that it, it could be a 180 degree turn that is super easy to do. It's just nothing they thought of because it's not what they've been trained to do up to this point. And it's, it's basically embracing change, but it is about shifting their perceptions from being product focused to the customer focused. And we sort of touched on it a, a tiny bit there when you threw out the, the doctor's you know, scenario. But instead of thinking about what does my product do, what is the sort of positive outcome my customer will have using it? And that's pretty profound, but it's not natural. It's not instinctual for a lot of people to pivot in that way very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially in the technology space, it's always, you know, we have X spec or Z spec that's better than the other company spec. They're always going, you know, they're either trying to out compete the other company with better or they're trying to undercut them with price, right? Yeah. And I think the, the real learning from that is, is that think about how quickly you could go to even bigger sales, faster growth. If you, to some extent, skip all the speed, what we jokingly call in the PC world, the speeds and feeds, you know, mm-hmm. how, how fast is your processor and, and how shiny is something and go to that, that perception of value or the value it's going to create for that customer if they buy it. Right. And it really is about getting in the customer's mind and understanding what their needs are. So again, it's the customer experience. So what are the steps that people need to take? How do you go from being a technology to customer-centric business? It's not an easy thing, and there's probably not a formula, but if I have to distill down what I find to be common mm-hmm. with the companies I work with, there's probably three key steps. The first is, is an internal view. The second is an external view. And then third is figuring out, you know, once you've figured out how to move things forward and, and that, that this really does work, how do you configure your company and your processes to embrace this and go full bore? So what's the internal view mean? I mean, what, what are you talking about? Part of it, I think you said sort of the psychologist piece, but mm-hmm. there's a little bit of, of accepting that, as I said, what worked before doesn't work now, but it even gets down to your culture. No, one, no one's done anything wrong up to this point. But you've got to be able and willing to open up and say, yeah, let's do things differently. Let's, let's understand that there could be some radical change here. Uh, so that technologist CEO that I highlighted, you know, he or she needs to think and say, wow, I need to reprogram myself. Of course, we develop technology. And, and my process doesn't ask them to stop doing all the product innovation they've done before. Uh, in fact, this process will actually probably help them unlock new products or innovations to drive revenues forward. But by internally auditing, going through all your different processes, is our, is our customer support process customer friendly, or is it there just to put something to bed? Uh, do we ask customers to give us feedback and tell us you know, what, what if we improved about the product would cause them to tell their friends more? Uh, what do we do during our sales process? Is it, again, all about the, the characteristics, or do we actually you know, take a consultative approach and say, hey, customer? We think we've got great tech, but I don't know if it works for you. Could you tell me what, 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 what's going to play out there and, and what you're looking for? And we'll see if this is a good fit. Mm-hmm. And, and so you've kind of blended from the you know, internal look and feel of what you're trying to do with the culture to actually getting out and asking the customer. You know, this is so unique. Ask the customers what they want, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's- and it's not easy. Not, not a lot of customers... Uh, want to share feedback. In fact, I was talking with someone today, and they agreed pretty, pretty, pretty wholeheartedly with me. 
Um, everybody would like the feedback to fit a bell curve, right? Where you get all your average customers in the middle to respond and tell you what's going on because they're the meatiest. That's the most revenue. And, and whenever you do a survey, uh, the reality is those folks almost never reply. And it's only the people who love you and the people who really hate you are the ones who will step up and, and tell you what they think. But you've got to work through that. You've mm-hmm. got to find out how to get, and that's sort of step two now. Now we're shifting to how do you get that feedback? Uh, and you, at the same time, you don't want to pause all your operations. You don't want to stop what you're doing. You've got to still make you know, your money using the old process. Um, there might be some incremental things you've done. You said, wow, we could improve really quickly. Let's go do it. But setting up, and it, some people actually call it uh, sales R&D and marketing R&D, which is, I think, a great concept, is not looking at it as what are you going to do on a steady state basis, but what are you going to do to test and figure things out? And getting a, a group of folks who are nimble, who can think on their feet and go out and talk with customers and almost craft new sales messages on the fly to test and see what's going on can be a tremendous way of, of finding and, and pushing forward and validating that there's, there's business to be one out there. Um, and then bringing that information back and saying, okay, these customers actually value this feature if they're dentists or doctors or whatever, or, mm-hmm. or a, a manufacturing customer here might really appreciate our uptime for a software company. Mm-hmm. And, and they may never have been a marketing message. And bringing that back and, and sharing that and incorporating into your future activities is what can be really profound. Gotcha. So the last piece of that is to get everybody in the company on the same page. You, you know, basically you start looking at the culture, you start gathering the feedback, and now you have to get the company to adapt to the new way of thinking. It doesn't necessarily mean you you take the whole company and you rip it apart and put it back together, but maybe start segmenting, you know, different pieces, right? Right. And and I the the supporting piece to that is it's probably not as hard as you think. Yes, humans sometimes are resistant to change or some percentage of your people might be, but people like success. They like knowing that they're, they're back to high growth again. Uh, they're meeting new customers. You know, somebody on your team might have a cousin who's a dentist. Like, oh, I'd love to go work on that. I, I, I know a lot about dentistry now, if that's, that's our figurative you know, scenario where to go. And you'd be surprised. It, the embracing of the success of this makes it a lot easier to take your culture and say, okay, how do we go to, when we ship a product, how do we collect feedback there? Mm-hmm. Uh, when we do a, a customer retention call, um, even before we've closed that customer and asked them to retain and you know, buy it and renew their subscription, how do we make sure that they're happy? Right? All those little touch points, if you can collect the, the information in a way customers feel comfortable sharing and they'll feel it's a distraction, it can be very, very powerful. And, and it's something that, that everybody should and, and would likely want to sign on to if it means future success. Yeah. And, and the final piece I want to bring to this is, you know, I'm in the world of relationship marketing. And really what you're doing is you're using that same technique to build relationships with the customers so they feel like they're part of a community, like they're actively a piece of the change. And then you're going to the internal side of things and giving them reason to feel and embrace the change in a way that they feel like they're part of it, right? So it's basically yeah. creating win-wins for everybody. It's absolutely win-win. And, and the incentives for the customer could be the community aspect, whether it's tangible or perceptual. Some people care that they're listened to and they're, they're recognized, even if, even if the company's not going to do it. You can mm-hmm. breed a ton of loyalty that way. 
Uh, and lastly, uh, depending on your business, depending on what technologies you use, uh, you can even employ the concept of gamification where you create loyalty points or some other long-term incentives for people to engage in these behaviors and, and invest back into your business with their, their insights. Love it. So to kind of bring this whole thing in full circle, a flywheel, think about that. <laughs> uh, to bring it full circle, how, how has that worked for a company? Can you give us an example of a company that actually did what you're talking about and saw success? Yeah, I'll give you one example. Um, one of my clients back in 2014 is called One Price Taxes, a North Carolina-based provider of online tax services for consumers. Really great product, really great mission. Uh, frankly, the tax software can be expensive for people. And as the name implies, One Price Taxes, the idea was to keep it as affordable as possible and, and generate organic demand. Fantastic play. The only drawback is there's an 800-pound gorilla in the market called Intuit. Uh, they own Quicken, they own TurboTax, they own a lot of things. Uh, and they control the, the online financial software market. And as this company went along and working with them with their sales and marketing, it became really apparent it was a no-win proposition because Intuit was willing to lose $70 per person for each new tax subscriber that they brought into their ecosystem because they could eventually sell them their other software and other financial services products like mortgages, loans, bank accounts, et cetera. And so that's a massive uphill slog. So that's a company who got traction, people loved the product, but it was never going to grow to the potential it could because of, of competitive forces. So what do you do? All right, growth, growth is stalled. People start getting a little fussy and, and upset. You know, is this something worth sticking with? Um, so the, the interesting piece here, which ties back to what we've talked about, was the company was getting calls from folks who aren't their normal customers. We had accountants. We had tax shops. So there, there are a number of, of businesses all around the country with 10 accountants in them who do nothing but walk in tax services. So they were calling us saying, hey, um, you got really neat software. Can we buy it and use it for our services? The weird thing about OnePress Tax is it was designed for a single consumer. And there's also compliance stuff, right? So there's the whole IRS involved and the tax process, et cetera. So the software couldn't actually do what they wanted, even if the, if the customer said, I'm going to just use it in a totally different way, um, there's a, just because of all that regulatory pieces there. But at some point in time, it just became absolutely apparent there must be something here that I'll hunt. Um, and what, uh, what the company did is we created a separate brand called Tax Prepare Solutions. So let's go back to the framework, right? One, acknowledge, hey, this, is, this isn't working. Uh, number two, uh, let's not derail our core business, but let's go out and test this new tax preparer solutions product, uh, which was just a repositioning and some additional code to, to handle the regulatory stuff. And with, uh, with tax preparer solutions, what we call TPS, uh, we found incredible revenue growth. We had all of these accountants all interested, willing to pay a lot more uh, for the value we provided than a consumer tax uh, submitter. Uh, and also some of our competition uh, would come to us, a couple of the large names you know who do storefront uh, uh, franchise tax services around the US. Mm -hmm. uh, they came to us and said, look, we don't really like maintaining our own platform. We'd love to, to license it from you. 
And now you're talking about six-figure deals you know, for three, five years to provide these services. It, it changed the business night and day. And even better, in 2016, One Price Taxes was bought out by Credit Karma, a monolith, a unicorn, venture-backed company in the financial services industry to power their own uh, tax services. And then what happened after that? Well, it was funny. Credit Karma uh, ended up being acquired by Intuit for a crazy amount of money. Uh, so it, it's funny how things come full circle. Yeah, that, that's, it's crazy and amazing and a great story. Hey, Chip, this has been fantastic. And I'm sure my audience is going to want to get to know you better and contact you. So what's the best way for them to do that? The best way to reach me is through my website, Flywheel Advisors, F-L-Y-W-H-E-E-L, Advisors with an S. Uh, please come to the, to the website. Uh, I've got a link on the page where I do free consultations with people to basically bounce around strategy and see if there's something I can help or any low-hanging fruit that they can fundamentally just, you know, things we figure out, they can go off and do themselves without having to worry about my involvement. Awesome. Well, Chip, this has been a blast. Thank you for coming on and dropping some sizzling hot bacon knowledge bombs on my peeps. I really appreciate you, your time, and your insights. And man, I look forward to having you back on the podcast again soon. It would be my pleasure, Brian. I really enjoy hanging out with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? Send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember, it's all about the bacon. <laughs>